Welcome to the Prison Mindfulness Podcast, presented by the Prison Mindfulness Institute. In this podcast, we'll be talking with experts in the fields of prison mindfulness and prison dharma, discussing their transformative work in prisons and jails. Welcome to another session on the Prison Mindfulness Summit. My name is John McAdams, and I'll be your co-host for this session. I'm very happy to be here today with Carmen Alonso. Welcome, Carmen. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for being part of our summit. Been looking forward to speaking with you. I'm going to read from your bio to familiarize our audience with your work, and then we'll get into the conversation. How does that sound? That's great. Okay. Carmen is the founder of Just Mindfulness, a nonprofit organization based in Madison, Wisconsin, working at the intersection of mindfulness and social justice. She is a licensed clinical psychologist with over 20 years of experience and is dedicated to serving adults in both individual psychotherapy and group settings. Carmen has taught mindfulness-based interventions to alleviate stress and decrease suffering to a wide variety of groups, such as patients with clinical depression and anxiety, veterans, Spanish-speaking populations, medical residents, school personnel, athletes, police officers, residents in maximum and minimum security facilities, including men in the segregation unit in the most secure correctional facility in Wisconsin. Some of the mindfulness-based interventions Carmen has offered throughout the years are mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, the path of freedom, and mindfulness-based resilience training. She has also continued her mindfulness teachings with Taekwondo and martial art she has practiced for over 30 years, including nearly 25 years as the head instructor of the Choi Taekwondo School at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Welcome again, Carmen. Thank you. So our summit is um, oriented towards prison and work in prison, working with uh, folks who are incarcerated, working with folks who are in reentry. Uh, and so I think I'd like to begin and focus uh, a little bit in on the work that you have done with uh, individuals who are incarcerated. And I'm wondering what drew you when you first sort of entered into that world? What drew you to, to that work? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, for several years, I was teaching mindfulness-based interventions, some of the ones that you mentioned at the University of Wisconsin in the mindfulness program. And it got to a point where it felt like I was really drawn to working with people who may be living more at the edge, who may not be able to afford a class, a $500 class, uh, an A-week class, then BSR class. And at that moment, I started pursuing, okay, what, what else is possible? So, and it was around that time that Fleet Mall came to do a repeat in Madison, and I was really immediately captivated by the work that he has been doing. And I explored the possibility then on going into prisons and volunteering. And it turns out that there was the organization here in Madison, WPMI, Wisconsin Prison Mindfulness Initiative, uh, where some people were already, some seasoned practitioners were already going into prisons and offering twice a month uh, mindfulness groups. So I connected with them. And the moment I stepped into the prison for my first time in my life, I thought, wow, oh, this is what I needed to be 
it really felt like home in a sense. Hmm. And you were uh, clearly an experienced mindfulness practitioner, an experienced facilitator and trainer, and you stepped into a prison. How did this affect your personal mindfulness practice? Well, it took my practice into a whole different level. It certainly deepened the practice. It was humbling uh, to see so much wisdom so much wisdom inside the prisons. And um, every time I would leave, I felt humbled, inspired, and grateful to be there. And I started to teach less and listen more. And the more I would hear, I was like, wow. I discovered very soon, actually, that I have many teachers in here, in, in the prison. So it was... Um, it was a process of being used to teaching in a more, whether it's a university environment or community environment, going to the prison. And it's a whole different way, lots of unpredictable changes that happen as we go in. But when we sit down in a circle with the men or the women, for a while I was going to the women's prison too, it's just something happened in that group that was such a heartfelt sharing. And I would say, I would almost go as far as that. It was more, there was more, on, more honesty, more honesty about what was really going on inside. And that's part of the humility in a way, not just the honesty, the courage to name what was really going on for people. So, I, yeah, it really changed me in ways I still am not aware of after many years, but still the effects, I think, are doing something inside, not just deep in my practice, but at the deep personal level. Mm -hmm. In your bio, it states that you have worked in medium security and maximum security and in, in, in in segregation, often known as the whole or solitary. So can you give us a just kind of a thumbnail sketch? What what would that work look like? If you're going to go in and, and do a session or however it is that you're providing your service, can you give us a little sketch of what that might look like in those three different environments? Yes, sure. Um, let's say a typical day when we go into the prison, um, as in the morning, we do the GP, the general population group, mindfulness group, where we sit around probably 10, 12 men and three of us volunteers. And the format for that group is um, very similar than the other mindfulness groups in that sense. We always start with a practice. Then we do a check-in. We go around. People can play or pass if they want to, but pretty much everybody checks in. And then we discuss a theme, a theme that may be relevant to all of us. And I like to bring many things from the Path of Freedom curriculum because I do find it very helpful for everybody, for all of us. And then uh, we have a conversation around that theme, whether it's difficult emotions, cycle of reactivity, communication, drama, whatever it may be. And then we close with a short practice at the end. So that's the GP. 
um, group in the morning. Then um, we go to lunch, come back. I do the segregation group. And the segregation group is very interesting because I learned quickly that for that group, it, I found it more helpful to be more focused, to definitely bring a, a program that we can go because it's it's so hard to be in sec, to be on yourself for so many hours alone that uh, if we don't have a container, people tend to talk a lot. So I find that um, the now I found, now I've changed that and I'll come to that in a minute. So I would do the path of freedom and people were able to stay more focused on the practice and really relate in a way the same format that the group in the morning, but we would do in the segregation, but just with more focus on the, okay, the lesson for today, we're going to talk about change and what is it that we want to change. And then we would do practices and explorations during that group. Now, that group, um, like I said, very helpful to do the 10, 11 or 10 sessions for the Path of Freedom curriculum. Right now, I have been with the same group for a few years, and we are changing things a little bit in the sense that, like I was saying before, I teach less and I listen more, and people take turns preparing what is it that they want to discuss, even guiding practices, which I need to be careful because we cannot lift people, as we know, in prison. But giving them the opportunity to bring a practice that they want to do, to discuss a theme that they want to discuss has been so wonderful because they feel, okay, I'm going to prepare. They are excited. They are looking forward to the next group. And then they really come beautifully prepared to share something close to their heart about something that has been meaningful to them, particular practice. It has the mindfulness component in one way or another. And then whatever it is that they want to discuss and how they have been working with whatever it is, angle activity, any of the things that I mentioned before and beyond. So that's the segregation group. And that in that group, the because I I can only have six men, they are all shuckled to the stool. Uh, and that there's no room, it's very, it's very small group room in that sense and that's maximum but it is a wonderful it's a wonderful experience and usually after the same group i go and do one-on-ones for people who may want a little bit more individualized support around their language practice so that's a typical day at the prison now if i teach path of freedom in the general population then obviously it's going there and teaching the curriculum and um, that would be that for that situation would you like to give just a, a again a real brief uh, overview of what you think are the most um, a sort of vital and impactful aspects of the path of freedom? Like you've been doing path of freedom for a while, and you're doing it for a reason. So, what is that reason? I just really resonate with the curriculum, and it feels so alive, and I keep open and learning so much. For example, the communication chapter, I learned quickly too. And I remember this person in the segregation group who told me how I was presenting the ways and the patterns of speech and listening that he was not resonating to that. Because in his culture, that's a different, that doesn't feel disrespectful. The interruptions, we're talking about interrupting. And then he went on to tell me that, uh, yeah, 
you know, in the black culture, it will feel disrespectful if, and then he told me that, uh, what he shared with the group, the reasons when he would feel disrespectful. And I, at that time, I actually realized, it's like, oh, here I am. You know, at that point, the group was all black men. And here I am, a white lady with an accent from Spain. And talking about communication in a way that, to me, makes a lot of sense. But that openness to other cultures, other ways of communicating, it was, I remember clearly that that time. That was years ago, but so meaningful. So that's the thing that I keep learning. The curriculum feels so alive and leads to so many great conversations. Great. Well, um, there's, I don't know, I think that's really beautiful because I, one of the things you're describing there is cultural humility, right? Is, is us being willing to be open and listen and ask questions and uh, admit, you know, admit or just acknowledge where we're from. Yeah our culture, our history is, and that it is not necessarily the same as those we're serving, and that whatever their upbringing, cultural situation is absolutely completely as relevant and valid as any others, and that we can we can learn that. And um, so this brings me then to the next question, and that is for those of us in the audience who are interested, maybe we haven't spent any time serving people in prison or in an incarcerated situation or people who are at risk or people who are in reentry, or, or we've only spent a, a short time, what can you offer with your amount of experience? What are some of the key qualities that we want to cultivate and bring forward as we start to step in to serving in, in these roles and serving in these environments with the whole picture? Because we have the administrative side, we have the safety side, we have the folks who are incarcerated, mm -hmm. the whole package. What do you think are, are really helpful qualities and, and maybe what are some of the pitfalls that we might avoid? Well, I would say right away, achieve that come right, um, right there, um, immediately on humility and um, patience. Humility, because I realize time after time, you know, it's easy for me to go there to talk about mental prisons, even in addition to physical prisons, to talk about identities, and then I leave. And I really have no idea what is it like to be 33 hours out of the 24 in the cell. And I ask them often, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Tell me, how, how do you make it? Because when we are in the groups, you may see guards and gearing up because they are going to do an extraction, which is the terms they use to get somebody out of the cell. Uh, and that's going on right here. And I'm saying this because I have the group session here and then there's a window. And I'm talking about being present for this which they have asked many times, being present for hell? Why would I want to be present? Which is a great conversation to have, in a way. So that humility, that not knowing that, my goodness, what would it be like to be living in those conditions? I think that is near. And sometimes, well, I will speak for myself. 
because we're going with a little bit of arrogance, you know, I'm going to teach mindfulness. Well, like all that. And the second quality that I think it's important for us that I have had to cultivate, which is not my forte to begin with, <laughs> but is patience. We go there and things change all the time. You may have a great plan for the group that day, and now, whoops, there is no group that day, and we drove an hour and a half, and now we have to go back, and things change. And the people who you thought were going to be in the group now have moved on somewhere else. So really, that open mind <laughs> that we talk about in this practice, open mind, open heart, for sure, cultivating that. And that curiosity, really, that curiosity, which I know I'm, I'm talking about some of the qualities of mindfulness in itself, but they are needed. And we need to embody those and beyond as best as we can, you know, but we're only human too, but really embody those as much as we can. Yeah, so those three are really important humility, patience, open mind, open mind. Okay, I think that's super helpful. And would you be willing to share? Um, as you started to go in, any missteps, mishaps, screw ups? Like, um, what, what yeah. went wrong? Yeah. yeah so that might be helpful. That might be helpful for us to know. Absolutely. I mean, as I was referring before, my assumptions that, oh, this is the way a respectful communication looks like, and this is the way it feels rude. Well, no. For some people, that is not the case. So, um, my assumptions, the, the layer of arrogance, yes, thinking that I'm going there to teach, that changed quickly because they thought me better <laughs> in a way. The cultural humility that you named, John, I think it's very important too. And, and for me, at times, that has felt a stretch. I grew up in Spain. I came here when I was 25. So even English is not my first language, as you can tell. And sometimes the accent, um, you know, I don't understand some of the words. But instead of feeling frustrated with myself, like I was at the beginning, it's like, oh, so frustrated because I couldn't understand what the man was saying. I just ask. And they are so open to really educate me about everything, really, um, so far. So that, that, Openness to just ask. That's the thing that I love about working with people who are in physical prison, too. The honesty and the cutting through the BS in a way that is very refreshing. It's very refreshing. In a way, I may, I may feel some more of that down towardness honesty there than I feel teaching in a university setting, for example. So it's very refreshing. Yeah, and they will. They will give us clear feedback if we are open to listen to it. Okay, great. I think that's 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 great. That's helpful. Uh, now I'm going to ask you to parallel that with your experience with the administrative side, the safety side, the folks in uniform. Mm -hmm. What what have you learned in terms of ways that are effective, impactful, and um, and not uh, creating more chaos, confusion, or aggression. Yeah. Yeah, there, when I learned at the beginning, I went in 
And I felt such a resonance with the residents, with people who were in prison, that I almost, and they would talk sometimes about the guards, even though we need to put some limits around that. So I felt such an alignment. And with time, so we well, wait a minute, let me be open. And having conversations with the guards as they escort us to the lobby back and forth and seeing the level of exhaustion, the level of, uh, yeah, sleep deprivation, the inability to eat healthy diets, uh, to see their, some of their bodies hurting, and to really see, in a way, the suffering in their faces. I've been much more open to also hearing from them and to ask them, well, how is your day going? And sometimes they would say, you know, they are hour 10 out of the 16-hour shift, 16 hours. Like, how can you function 16 hours straight? And then, well, you do what you have to do. And the resilience of many of the guards. And um, I have been very interested, like many of us, John, I know you have too, um, in supporting prison guards and administrative folks in the prison. It has been hard because there's always a shortage of staff. And then to invite them to come to a group, it, it just, the whole process it seems so complicated that it doesn't seem to, to be effective. Or at least we haven't here in Wisconsin found a way to support the guards in the way that they deserve and that they need. And some of them are interested. Some of them, they're not so sure about this, but I think we have not been able to really enter into this in a way that that it, it's resonating for him. We have done, I've been part of two um, sessions in different prisons, and I can see why we need to do it differently. We cannot just go there with bells and certain practices. It needs to be in a different way. So we need to find a way. We need to. I think it's imperative that we work to support the whole community inside the prison as much as we can. And many of the gardens, many of the psychologists of the PSU and stuff, they are really supportive. But how can we do it on a community level? Yeah, I think what I'm hearing, one of the threads that I'm hearing is that these folks are human too. Mm -hmm. They're human beings who are doing really tough work and they're being asked to do like you say, uh, so often in what we found across the country and really across North America, staff shortages. They're just staff shortages. So people are working overtime, forced overtime, and sometimes having to make really difficult to split second decisions when you're exhausted, right? Um, so in, in the work that, that I have done, I've just found just a little kindness, offering a little thank you when somebody escorts a group into the room, you know, there's an opportunity just to say thanks and, and acknowledge that, yeah, they're they're doing their job and it could be a, quite a disruption mm -hmm. from the regular movement of, of, you know, the folks who are in custody. All of a sudden, they got to take them down to some other room so somebody can give them a program. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that could be. Anyways, it's a, certainly it's an opportunity to it just acknowledge people's humanity and absolutely last smile and a thank you oh. yes totally and even just ask them as we go to the 
back to front to the front or as we go back into the segregation and you know how is your day going and they will tell yeah genuine interest and curiosity it's uh, exactly yeah curiosity yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. well i'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask you to talk about um the tandem program that that you ran and if you can describe what that was and how it all came together and the sort of fruitional aspect that you seem to be quite excited about yes 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 i love teaching the tandem program and what that is is a going in tandem teaching path of freedom to two groups at the same time it's really one group but half of the group is in a physical prison half of the group is in the community and that um, tandem class has been offered perhaps four times here in Madison. And the beauty of it, um, unfortunately, people could not have direct contact with each other. But the beauty is I was teaching both groups with two other volunteers. And we would go to the prison on one day. On Mondays, we would go to the community group on Wednesdays. And we would really bring... Um, the same themes, obviously, because everybody got the same Path of Freedom workbook and we would go to the curriculum together. And what that brought out is really that humanness, the fact that, yes, we are all in the same boat. If we start with session one, you know, we all need to train our minds. Session two, who are we really unpacking those identities? we're going to change. What do we want to change? And on and on with the curriculum. And there was one session at that time. It was session 10, the forgiveness practice. That was so beautiful because I asked, I invited people to go in into a practice and reflect on um, what is it? What is it that you may have done to, to whatever degree they were comfortable? So I said a little bit more preparation for the practice. But the question was, what is it that you have done in your life that is hard to forgive yourself for? Um, and then we contemplated that in our own minds. And then I asked to go a little bit underneath and to see what is it that you feel that drove you to do whatever it was that you did. And I have, I gave little index cards and then they can they could name on the top what is it that they did that it's hard to forgive and below what is it that drove you to do what you did. And that both for the community and the prison group. And what was fascinating is that what was underneath is the same. It's the same thing, some of the same processes, whether it's fear. Whether it's selfishness, whether it's uh, greediness, whether it's pressure from one person or another. So let me just read you a couple of examples here. Um, This gentleman said uh, what was difficult for him to forgive was the brutality and violence of my crimes. The pain that caused the families of the people that I killed and my family as well. What made me do these things, he wrote. Fear, fear, pressure. And then we go into a community person. It's hard to forgive myself for the harm I cause others. Emotional harm, spiritual harm, taking the easy path and giving up on my dreams. What was behind those ads? 
fear, doubt of my own worthiness, lack of self-confidence, pure societal pressure. And you can see these threats pretty much in all these forms. It was a big group. It was 30 men in the prison and 15, no, 20, 20 in the community. So you can see very similar threats. So, and I think that exploring and unpacking forgiveness in that way with that understanding that, wow, look at this. Because what I would do is after we had done the process in, in each group in a way, I would go and read as another practice the, the notes or some of the notes to the other group. And then they could see that, oh, oh, wow, look at this, some of this. So there was the idea of, at some point, as you can see, they are colorful notes to maybe do some art around us, around the humanity of the mistakes that we all make, of the reasons that we us. Yes, some may have consequences much greater than others, but there are so many commonalities in that sense of mistakes and what drives us to do what we did. It was really moving to have that experience. So that was the forgiveness. Um, and then at the end, when we presented the certificates for the last, the very last class, I did something with a note also. <laughs> with I love, like, it was like sending, bringing love notes from half of the group to the other. I really loved it. And this is, for example, one of the community, I'll just read one for each because um, I could read everything here. Uh, he said, dear brothers, as our class ends, I will continue holding you in my thoughts and in my heart. One thing this class has shown me is how often I doubt my own worth. I will keep committing to experiencing my own basic goodness. Yet I have no doubts about your infinite worth and your basic goodness. I know where you are. I know where you are now places huge obstacles on recognizing your worth. From my heart, I wish you a path to freedom inside you and outside you. May you know without doubt that you are worthy, valued, cared for, and basically good with care. And this was a member of the community. Now a member in the prison, he says, I would like to thank you all for your genuine concern for myself and fellow inmates. In recent times, to me at least, it seems like once you are placed in here, society gives up on us. When you are surrounded with those who think you are nothing but scum or unworthy of concern, life really loses its shine. So for all of you to have stuck out this group and learn as we have, it makes me see that not all is done in this world. May your lives be golden. So I have many love notes from that deep appreciation from both groups at the end and the vision. Then COVID hit and we had to end that and do it online. But the vision, what I'm hoping to do is that we can start again and come together, come together in the last class, the community and the people inside to do the celebration, the certificates and just that, yeah, that celebration of going through the process together has been so inspiring for all of us involved. Well, that would be that would be pretty amazing. That would that would be quite a, an amazing feat of administrative 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Shuffle. Yeah, the, the uh, administrative two-step to get that to happen. But yeah, uh, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Lots of graduation ceremonies, right? Family come in. So well, well, that's a, a great aspiration, Carmen. That's a great aspiration. Yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned, obviously, the pandemic hits and <clears throat> your program, as so many programs, uh, came to a grinding halt. And how did you carry on and, and what's happening now? Are you starting to go back inside? Yes, now we are back inside. And actually during the pandemic, um, what was really lovely is that we had done Path of Freedom Class 1, both community and inside the prison. And then while I was teaching that Class 1, I see the chaplain coming in. And I thought, oh, uh-oh. And he told me that that was it. They had to shut down. But what was awesome, actually, from that came a great opportunity where I invited two friends who have been in prison themselves, one for 20 years, one for 15 years. And we did the recordings with these two men and another woman volunteer. And that was so rich. And that we would, the four of us on the screen, we would send the sessions every week. And I learned so much from kind of co-facilitating with people who have had the lived experience of being incarcerated. So that was a, a, a golden thread that came from the pandemic. Uh, for the other people, for the other groups that I wasn't doing part of freedom, um, the volunteers, the two other volunteers and myself, we kept recording uh, kind of like similar things that we did in person with practice, discussing a theme, a short practice at the end. Obviously, the conversation was just among the volunteers. Uh, and we kept sending DVDs every week. And we heard once we got back, when we got back in person, that they were really taking those in and were very appreciative of having that continuation of the mindfulness practice support during the pandemic. And do you now have basically full access the way you had before? Yes, now we do, yeah. Well, I want to resume the, the general mindfulness groups are going. I want to resume with a path of freedom and again orchestrating another tandem groups, uh, tandem groups, yeah, as soon as it can be orchestrated, which it's quite a process, as you all may imagine. Mm-hmm. Now, are you are you going in and organizing this through just mindfulness, through your organization, your nonprofit? Just mindfulness is supporting some of these offerings. When we're doing the recordings uh, with the two men who had lived experiences, then just just mindfulness was able to um, compensate and these folks for their time, which was really wonderful. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think we're coming close to our our completion, but uh, I wanted to ask you if you'd be willing to. Uh, provide us with some guided practice. And if you could um, guide us in a way that you would inside, if that is particularly different from when you talk about the community work that you do and the work for incarcerated. Uh, Yeah, so if you could take three or five minutes of practice that you think might be of benefit and relevant to our conversation. Would you like to do that? Sure. Okay. Well, let's do it. All right. So the invitation here is to, um, if you want to, as you listen to this, close the eyes, if that feels comfortable, if not, keep them open. 
And just taking a few moments here to be really just Maybe let's start with the physical body and being aware of this body as we are sitting down or standing or whatever position we may find ourselves in. And noticing the points of contact, maybe the ground, mature ground. Noticing the support underneath the body. Pressing the back straight but not tight. The shoulders relax. Sometimes it helps to roll the shoulders up and then back. Let's see the neck, the head balance, the arms maybe by the sides. Taking a few moments to just check in with this physical body that we have. What are you noticing as we bring the attention to the body? Maybe the contact, maybe we feel the flow of the breath. Maybe the hands and the knees. And next, let's exhale and check in with the state of our minds right now. Maybe the mind is calm, chill, maybe full of thought ideas after listening to this talk. Desires, what to do, initiatives, I don't know. I certainly have some of those. Just acknowledging the state of our mind. And with the next exhale, we'll shift. And now let's take a moment to acknowledge the emotional body. The word to say, yeah, how am I feeling right now? What would you say? Remembering that emotions usually come in hurts. You know, there's several going on at the same time. So what feeling, what, what undercurrent may be there? Emotional and the courage. And the beautiful thing about this mindfulness practice is that there's nothing to explain, there's nothing to judge, whatever is going on in this body, this mind, this heart. That's the way it is right now. At this moment, you may already be different than when we were checking you then. Physical body, 
So once we have recognized what's going on in the body, the mind, the heart, the emotional body, then it's helpful to find the movements that go with each breath. And if the breath doesn't feel like a good anchor for you, choose something else. It's not a big deal. Choose the hands and the knees or sound or feet on the ground. But if the breath is all right as an ankle, then really noticing the movements that go with the inhale, the movements that go with the exhale, maybe the abdomen, the chest. Sometimes I like to feel the rib cage expanding with the breath. And jumping. Deflating with the outline. So, whatever it is that you feel that breath more intensely in your body, then just resting the attention there for a few moments. And from there, now we go back to full circle and feeling the body as a whole one more time as we sit here, breathing, connecting. Maybe taking a moment to also dedicate these few moments of practice for the benefit of all beings. Inside the prison, outside, we all live in one prison or another. And all of us, to some extent, want to be free. So as we do with as we do our own inner work, we bring that to others too. So just a couple more breaths, whole body breaths. Maybe deeper inhale, a longer exhale, and one more together. Deep inhale. Pause right there, and then long exhale. And as you're ready, you can open your eyes if you have them closed. And I just want to thank you all for joining in and joining for this wonderful opportunity to connect with you and with other people who are very interested in these types of offerings. Thank you so much, Carmen. That was that was great for me. I really appreciate that practice. So as we as we prepare to, to close our time together, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you had mentioned that one of the things that you really were and have continued to be struck by is uh, the wisdom that you've that you've found as you 
as you found inside. So mm. can you just can you drop one little gem of wisdom that you have discovered inside? Well, my goodness, so many. You know, something that comes up right away is I remember this gentleman one time saying, and he was, he was an older man, and again, so wise, and he would just tell the young folks in the group, you know, you just do you. You just do you. And the way he talked about that invited me to just do me. And there are many layers to that, as you may imagine, but just the invitation to just be oneself in a more authentic and genuine way. And I'm not doing justice to the way he said it because he was saying very beautifully, but that invitation to just to me, to me follow the heart, follow my heart, and it all seems to be okay then. It's all good. So the invitation to just be you, as I remember with this, this wonderful being. So that's one of the many, that's one of the many, John. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, thank you again, Carmen. Now, if folks want to learn more about your work and more about uh, Just Mindfulness and your organization, how can they do that? Yes, you can go to the website, justmindfulness.net, and there you can see a little bit more about the work, Path of Freedom, the collaborations with other entities, other groups locally and across the country. And um, there are also some practices there in case you want to continue to practice and want to understand so many these days on the internet, but you have some in English and some in Spanish. So just check it out. Stay connected. Good. Well, thank you so much again for taking time to be with us today. Really appreciate it. I want you to be well and take good care, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening. To learn more about PMI and our programs, please visit prisonmindfulness.org. You can also keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.